Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 6. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, all of them from author N.M. Brown, about calamitous cats, transposed toys, malformed miscreants, and peculiar pregnancies. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from N.M. Brown involves the disappearance of the neighborhood cat lady and the police officer who finds her diary. Turns out sometimes it's not the person who collects the cats, but the other way. Well, that would be spoiling things, wouldn't it? Without further ado, I present to you Cat Call. I worked for over 20 years as a police officer for the Lindley County Sheriff's Office before retiring at the beginning of last year. I've often been asked a lot of questions about my time in law enforcement, the main one, of course, being, what is one of the worst things you've ever seen on the job? Everyone gets a differently tailored version of events, depending on how well I know them personally or how old they are. Needless to say, I've told this story many different times in many different ways. It's high time I told the only version that matters, the disgusting, unadulterated truth. In here, I got the door open. A fellow officer's voice bellowed as I exited my squad car. Dozens of cats scattered in every direction at the sound of the approaching vehicles. The house we arrived at was derelict. Rundown would be, well, the generous thing to say. The yard was as overgrown and unloved as the house. And the closer we got to the front door the harder it was not to gag. The wood of the porch steps was rickety and frayed, as if slashed with millions of tiny knives. The overwhelming smell of ammonia and bad meat wafted from within. We'd been getting calls about this lady for weeks now, complaining about the cats. They absolutely consumed almost every inch of her yard during certain parts of the year. She appeared to be taking good care of them. Not much she could do with that, really, as far as the law is concerned. However, over the previous week, the calls had rapidly increased, now with a change in the usual reports, saying the cats were looking sickly and at least one was feared to be deceased. I hated to be the one to answer this call. My childhood home was overrun with cats. I was the kid at school no one sat near because he smelled like cat piss. My daughter has only one, and she takes care of him very well, keeping him far out of my way. I never had the stomach or the heart to tell her how much I hated them. I slowly entered the house, gun drawn and ready for what awaited me. Inside was an absolute mess of food smears, hair, and animal feces turned white and fuzzed with age. 
That all-too-familiar smell hit me, consuming me with a sense of dreadful nostalgia. I didn't understand how a house could be so dusty, but so oily at the same time. Almost every piece of furniture was frayed, just like the porch steps and banisters were. The sofa was also all ripped to hell, the insides gutted and bulging out in tufts of piss-stained orange foam. The wooden fabric table legs had been clawed so much that I was surprised it was still able to stand. There were two officers that arrived in the scene before me. The officer's voice that I heard upon arrival belonged to Billy Sarvis. He still looked winded from having to break the door down. His eyes ran wild as he scanned the largest areas of the house. We stepped over various items of neglect in our so far fruitless search. Every room proved uneventful except for a bathroom that contained an overflowing clawfoot tub of gritty cat waste. There was only one more room to go, our basement. The smell increased ever still, making my head swim. I rubbed some Vicks under my nose, an old trick I remembered from childhood, as we started to descend the stairs. We were hoping not to find much of anything, but also knowing that the smell had to lead to something terrible. The basement was surprisingly clean at first glance. None of us noticed anybody down there, and nothing looked disturbed. The light switch wasn't working, so I was forced to rely on my flashlight. I did a quick sweep of the room, and just as I'd hoped, didn't see much of anything. But then my flashlight rests on a far corner of the room. I was immediately confronted by a mass of fur, too large and oddly colored to be any animal I recognized. It reminded me of an enormous pile of angry fur coats. Fur coats don't make a sound, though, and this thing was roaring with a sickening cacophony of chews, licks, and growls. Coats also don't wriggle around on their own, either. As soon as the beam of light hit, it exploded into a scattering of whites, yellows, oranges, blacks, and browns. Cats. It was a huge group of huddled-up cats. Temporarily distracted, I again didn't immediately see what they were huddled around. I wish now that I hadn't seen. All these years as an officer, and I thought I'd seen everything. I was wrong. The two other officers hesitantly shined their lights on it as well. With all of the new visibility, we instantly saw hundreds, and I mean hundreds, of tiny red footprints all over the floor, repeating over and over again in a frenzied pattern. They were even plastered intermittently on the stairs we'd just come down. I instructed my fellow officers to check the bottoms of their feet, to make sure they didn't cause any additional tracks coming in, possibly contaminating an already grisly crime scene. There in the floor laid a bloody mess of what appeared to have once been an elderly woman. She was wearing a worn paisley dress that hung off her limp form in bloody tatters like cheesecloth. It was obvious that she had been there quite a while, and the cats... Oh, Jesus Christ, the cats... We're eating her. 
I didn't believe that that was how she initially died, but they definitely took advantage of the event. There were two left behind, the skinniest of the group, too caught up in the delights of their dinner to be frightened away. Their mouths glistened wet with red against the beams of our lights. Droplets of blood and flesh stuck unashamedly to their whiskers as they growled at each other between chews. They seemed to lap up the blood as soon as they drew it out. I shudder even now to think about it. Oh, God! Charvis exclaimed, running to the opposite corner to vomit. He was the newest officer assigned to our department. Not to say I wasn't having a hard time not doing the same thing. This was disturbing even for me, what some would call a seasoned veteran of law enforcement. If you ever seen anything like this in your life, geez, man, my son has three of these things, another officer said with trembling breath. I shook my head, not being able to take my eyes off the partially consumed body. I looked over to see a book lying next to her, barely affected by the pool of blood that surrounded her. I put on gloves to pick it up. It appears to be a journal of some sort. We called for the coroner, animal control, and forensics to come to the scene. I opened the book and began reading while I waited for them to arrive. July 10, 1980. The first thing I'll say is that I've never been much of a cat person. Honestly, I'm not really a pet person at all, but especially not cats. Their litter box fumes that take over the entire house, all of the hair left lying around, and the constant grooming always grosses me out. Also, why is it that every time a cat jumps and decides they want to cuddle, they always present themselves butt first? Is it just me? I don't know. I'm not completely heartless. The sad puppy eyes get me just as much as the next gal. I wouldn't wish harm on an animal. I just don't find them necessary as companions. So, when I find a strange kitty sitting on my porch steps, I'm a bit confused. I know I'm not going to get any fans here, but I'm sure if I just didn't feed it, eventually it will go away. July 18, 1980. I was wrong. A week later and still, morning after morning, on my way out the door, there it sits. He, she, is a tuxedo cat with short hair and 1.5 ears. It looks mangy and its feet are stained with dirt. It tries to rub against me, I gently shoo it away from my foot in response. It shakes its rump at me as it saunters away. Yep, after further and unwanted inspections, it turns out that the cat's definitely a he. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. 
You can do this when you Angie that. July 24th, 1980. My roommate Iris just came home from vacation a couple of days ago. This is the first chance I've had to talk to her since she's gotten in. I found her in the kitchen making what smelled like meatballs. It smelled amazing. We got lucky, really. We hadn't known each other at all before we moved in together. Our situations had both brought us to the right place at the right time, and it worked out. Despite my nervous social tendencies, we got along right away. I was totally comfortable around her. Undated. I asked Iris where the tuna was, hoping to make sandwiches. Do you know what she said? Her eyes looked to me all pathetic-like, without lifting her face. She said, Laurel, there was this cutest little kitty on the porch when I came home. He was just sitting there waiting for me, and he looked so hungry. Of course, I got on to her about it. Great, now he will never go away. Did you give him a name, too? I demanded. Iris was trying hard not to show her excitement and failing. She tells me that she named him Pepe, after the cartoon character. Said he looked just like him. My annoyance is growing more and more at this situation with each day that goes by. She knows that we just remulched the front yard, and it's finally to the point where it looks nice. How long does she think it's going to last with a cat outside? She lifts a finger as if she's already thought of this. Well, maybe he could be an inside cat, was the suggestion she gave me. No way, Iris. I'm sorry. I'm really not comfortable with stray cats hanging around. I tell her if she stops putting food out, he'll move on to someone else. I asked her to please respect me on this. I couldn't believe that we had to have this conversation. It was the first term that we ever had disagreed upon, and I feel like a total jerk. I know I won't change my mind, though, and she needs to know how I feel about it. I should have just lied and told her I was deathly allergic. August 4th, 1980. I woke up late today and had to rush out. There's a lot to do today. I got about five miles down the road when something terrible assaulted my nostrils. I gotta say, it was honestly one of the worst smells I'd ever experienced. My eyes darted around the car to see where it could be coming from. As soon as I got out, I checked my patchwork boots. And wouldn't you know, the bottom of my left boot has cat poop all over it. This is why I'll never want a cat. They're all fluff and balls of yarn. Just wait till you track the crap all over. It was in the grooves of my shoe and also my brake and gas pedals. The shoe I could take to the tub and hose off with a high-pressure shower setting. The pedals, though, that all had to be cleaned by hand. I pulled back into the driveway, trying to put it out of my mind. As I get in front of the porch steps... I find a once-steaming, smeared pile right in the mulch. God damn it, I yelled aloud to the sky, as if my voice can be heard in the vastness of the cosmos. See what I have to put up with? 
Hopefully, writing all this down helps. My therapist said that it would, but I still feel silly. September 3rd, 1980. Iris isn't home. Her boyfriend Eric has the weekend off, so she's staying with him tonight. They usually alternate between his place and ours. I don't need to tell you that I prefer when she stays there, honestly. The house stays cleaner, I get to listen to my music as loud as I want, and I can eat dinner in my underwear. Oh, and no guttural sex chanting through all hours of that night and sometimes the next morning. That's nice, too. Date illegible. I walk out of my mail and Pepe runs toward me, weaving in and out between my feet with a swiftness I can't match. I trip and almost fall right onto an iron rake face first. As I just barely catch myself, I see the cat sitting there staring at me. The look in his eyes is unmistakable. He knows he tripped me. You know that damn cat could have killed me. I tried to shoo him away from my foot and he hissed at me. He tripped me, almost gravely injured me, and then had the balls to hiss at me. Damn cats! Jesus Christ, wouldn't you know it, another pile in the mulch. This wasn't something that I could just pick up or scoop with a plastic shovel. Whatever this cat was eating clearly wasn't working for his stomach. I decided enough was enough. I called my parents and asked to borrow their cat carrier. Undated. The next day, I ashamedly took Pepe for a drive to the next town, found a decent gas station, and dropped him off behind it. The gas stations in Florida were always loaded with stray cats at night. Surely someone would adopt him and help him find food. Satisfied, I got back in my car and took the hour drive home. I'll tell Iris I found him a good home, and he'll be happier now. I feel good about what I've done. My mind justifies itself by telling me that I'm helping him. But really, I only care about myself and my yard. September 24, 1980. A week has gone by and it's been awesome. A totally hair-free, poop-free, cat-free week. Pepe's probably off having fun with his new merry band of wayward cats. Iris is happy because she thinks the problem was solved without any trips to the Humane Society. I even tell her he'll be an inside cat, so she won't worry about him getting hit by any cars. October 5th, 1980. My best friend, Jennifer, has called today to ask if I want to have lunch. I'm happy to accept the invitation. I just bought a new black-and-white paisley dress. I go outside and my blood chills to see a familiar sight. I shake my head and reopen my eyes. It's Pepe. He's come back. They say this happens all the time. Pets travel great distances to find their owners. We've been seeing this cat for less than two months, though, and I have no emotional relationship with him. He sits on his hind legs, sharpening his claws on my tires. Stop that! I yell. I know cat's claws can't flatten a tire from one time, but over time and with repetition, they sure might. 
I got into my car to leave and turned on the air. My windshield was wet. The wipers smeared it in a way that told me it's not just water. Instantly, the smell of ammonia wafted in from my AC vents. The cat. Also, that's another thing. Remember when things got weird earlier with me talking about the cat scat? Well, the same also goes for cat urine. No other animal is like it, with males being the worst. It's hard to get the scent out of your clothes. Laurel's no cat reason, number 74. Sometimes they won't even use the cleanest of cat boxes and will just piss on your clothes. Real nice. How in the hell was I going to clean this up? It had already dripped down under the hood of my car and affected every single atom of air that came through the vents. With it being almost 90 degrees outside, what choice did I have but to endure it? I made sure, discreetly, when I got out of my car that the smell didn't transfer to my dress. I went in and met with my long-missed friend, Jennifer, putting Pepe far out of my mind. We had such a good time and had more drinks than expected. Pretty soon I was wasted, emboldened by alcohol, and rejuvenated by my visit. I have to admit, it almost didn't even bother me that I had to sit in the equivalent of a human cat box on my way home. I rolled the windows down as the night brought in refreshing cool air. I pulled up to my driveway, and there he sat, that cat. I swear he leered at me when I opened my car door, but I didn't even care. I felt amazing. As I walked by him to go up the steps, he swatted at my foot, catching a toe with his claw and drawing blood. What the hell, cat? November 22nd, 1980. I'm not proud of myself. And I wish I could blame it on temporary insanity due to blood loss. But this is what happened. I went right inside my house, got a pinch of weed, a knife, and a can of cat food Iris had bought. If I was going to do this, I wanted to make him feel good first. I sprinkled the herb over the food, put it in this new thing called a Tupperware container, and returned outside. He eyed me warily, seeing and smelling the container from afar. I sat it down and stepped away. As soon as he deems me at an appropriate distance, he circled the food bowl. He sniffed at it a couple of times, then jumped back as if it's going to lunge at him and bite him. Finally, he settled in and started really chowing down. I crept up behind him and steadied the knife, determined to get him right the first time. There wouldn't be a second try. With one swift motion, I grabbed the scruff of his neck, held him down, and cut off his tail. I was afraid the blade wouldn't make it all the way through in one shot, but it did. He howled in pain and released from my grip, turning around to attack me. I covered him with a towel and held him off there. He eventually fell silent and still, knowing he's not able to run off. My hands were bloody and I was still delirious from drinking earlier in the day. Iris just happened to pull up in her car at this point. She leapt out and started running to me, not sure what she's seeing. 
Laurel, are you hurt? What happened to your hands? Upon seeing the cat, her face darkens. I could actually see flames in her eyes. That's it. To not prefer animals is one thing. To, But this is totally sick. He's an innocent creature. Her eyes filled with tears. Screw it. I was going to tell you after we paid rent, but I'm moving in with Eric. You need to get him to a vet. But then the cat had disappeared. I knew what I did was messed up. I don't blame her for reacting the way she did. The mind doesn't work that way when you're drunk, though, does it? Fine, I responded, slurring my speech. Go live with your boyfriend. I'll be just fine here on my own. And with no pets. I don't mean it. How far could our friendship possibly progress now, though? Sometimes it's best to just let things go, even people. December 1st, 1980. Eric's truck came and went a few times over the days to help her move things. Iris and I didn't even say goodbye, really. She tried to talk to me, but I was too distracted by staring out the window, making sure the cat was gone for good. Eventually, I heard her say, Fine, bye then. If that cat comes back, just call me. I'll take it home with me. It sounds odd hearing her say the word home and knowing she's not referring to this place. She muttered animal killer on the way out the door. After she left, I decided it was time for me to leave the house again. I was going to go out uh, on the town to treat myself to a night out. Maybe I could find a nice man to sweat my frustrations out with. Forget the mess about Iris and the cat. A night away was most definitely exactly what I needed, and soon. Date illegible. I went out and had such a nice time. Know that I went out, had fun, looked for some company, found some company, and spent the night. I had a few drinks, not nearly as many as the time before. Definitely not enough to excuse my decisions. I woke up feeling dried out and excited to go home. I slipped out the arm atop me and snuck out the front door. When I arrived home, I once again could not believe my eyes. Out through my windshield, I saw that my entire porch was shredded. It looked like a whole kennel of cats attacked the porch all at once. Their claws ate away at the wood like sharp termites. How the hell could one cat have done all of this, especially an injured one? Forget about me being pissed off. This was just getting scary now. This porch was hand-built by the man who rented the house's grandfather. Can you imagine how pissed he'll be once he saw this, there's no way this cat isn't intentionally malicious. I've had enough. December 25th, 1980. I backed up my car a little and sat at the end of the driveway, waiting to see if Pepe will appear. After not too long, he does. He saunters up to the porch, tail stub mangled and yellow with infection. He sharpens his claws a few quick times, almost as if he knows I'm watching. 
He walked to the middle of the yard and lay there, sunbathing like he owns the place. I put my car into drive and floored it. There was no way this asshole would have the time to get away, and this time I'd be done for good. No more cat crap, I thought, as I felt the tires go over the bump. No more pissing on my car, I thought, as I reversed to run over him again. No more cat. I know it's cold and heartless, but I scooped up his little body with a shovel, put it into a trash bag, and threw it into the waste bin. I was glad to finally be done with this whole thing. No one could judge me. The pound would have killed him anyway. His death was quick, and though I can't speak for him personally, I'd like to think it was painless. Five empty pages later. I've made a huge mistake. I don't mean that I'm remorseful for taking a life that was clearly out to get mine. I mean, nothing could have ever prepared me for my repercussions. For every day since the day I sent Pepe to his resting place, a new cat would show up. On the first day, there was one, and I noticed the trash bin had been knocked over. Then the second day, two, and so on from there. I tried shooing them, but around the twelfth day, it became too much. They seemed to be more menacing the larger their group became. Maybe I deserve this. April 16, 1981. Eventually I gave up and accepted my consequence of fate. I didn't bother to clear the yard. I put a cat box in every room and even installed a pet door so they could come and go as they pleased. After a while, the numbers stopped increasing. However, by then, most of the cats had bred, starting a new generation of whore. I kept a punch bowl on the counter filled with food for them, and one tub is always filled with water. The other tub takes the place of a litter box. Forty-five adult cats, infinite amounts of kittens, and still breeding. They clawed at my clothes, my face, my feet especially. They wanted to destroy me and everything I enjoyed for my home. After what I did, who could blame them? A long while after it started, he came. Maybe I'm delirious from fumes. Maybe I've finally lost my mind. But I swear I see Pepe sitting outside looking in. His tail's gone. His body is misshapen. He has one and a half ears and an eye that hangs from its socket. February 10th, 1983. I know that I have a forever pet, a friend who will never leave my side. I have friends of all colors, ages, sizes, and fur lengths. Dozens of them live with me, and I live through them. It's crazy how a slight change in perspective can change everything, isn't it? In my earlier years, I was called Laurel Johnson, but now... Now they call me the Cat Lady of Lindland County. End of entries. I searched the pages for the most recent date and found that the last entry was written almost 20 years ago. The pages yellowed, but the ink unfaded. The 
teams came out and did their jobs, none of them much surprised by the sight, and made last-minute statements for their reports before leaving the scene. On the drive home that evening, as I looked up my rearview mirror, I saw a flash of a little yellow glowing eye. It looked like a black or white clump of fur with no tail and half an ear. I did a double-take to make sure of what I was seeing, and it was gone. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Cat Call, as written by author N.M. Brown, and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and... Would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author. You can support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. This will lead you to the scariest place of all, her Amazon.com profile, where you can buy her books and find out about her other projects. And by all means, if you enjoy what you read, don't forget to leave her a five-star review and a kind word and let her know you heard about her here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Our second trip, courtesy once again of N.M. Brown, is about a single father and his young child, and how he tries his best to keep appointments on time. But sometimes you just need to make a stop. This one leads to what one might call a rather interesting afternoon. Without further ado, I present to you, Roadside. You know those people who tell the time of events to 15 minutes earlier than they start because, you know, they'll be late? The people who would be late to their own funerals, as the saying goes. Well, that's me. Prepare as I might... I can never seem to get anywhere on time. It's the most frustrating trade ever, but yet it's absolutely always my fault. 
It hasn't always been this way. Before I had my daughter Bryn, almost nine months ago, I was one of those people who took punctuality very seriously. The kind of guy who looked at the traffic flow on his phone and made sure to get gas the day before. I even set my oven clock five minutes fast so there would always be a five-minute advantage. I was prepared for most obstacles. However, what I couldn't prepare for was the unpredictability of Bryn. Her needs and moods varied, like all babies do. There was no rhyme or reason to her play. She did what she wanted, when she wanted, no matter if it made sense or not. It's like she was saying, No, Dad, I'll lay here and eat my foot for exactly one minute and twenty-seven seconds. If you attempt to remove it before this time passes, you'll be met with total non-cooperation. Not to mention the crying and flailing of the limbs. We had a good enough routine before her mother left us about three months ago. I'm ashamed to admit I threw away the outfit our daughter was wearing the day that she left. Over the preceding weeks, she had been donating a lot of her things to Goodwill. Supposedly, it was to make more room in our closet. My wife said she was trying to be less materialistic for the new year. It turns out she'd been moving her things to another house. Newfound parenthood hadn't been going well for us. I told her to take a night out with her friends while I spent one-on-one time with Bryn. When I kissed her goodbye that night, I had no idea she'd never be coming back. Since then, the baby and I have just tried to make the best of our situation and establish new routines for both Bryn and myself. These are the thoughts running through my head as I rush to Bryn's nine-month doctor checkup. We're early for once, set and out the door. Then, naturally, she pokes the nipple through her bottle and pours it all over herself. So we go back in the house, clean her up, and repeat the process. It's 9.19, and her appointment is at 9.30. It will easily take 20 minutes to get there, and that's with cooperative traffic. I'm not going to super speed or lane weave just to be on time. We'll just have to be a little late, again, as usual. We're almost there. There are only about five miles left. I start to allow myself to relax my shoulders a little when Bryn starts wailing. Oh, Christ, not again. Not now. I think to myself, figuring she poked through her bottle again. You can't take a dirty baby to the doctor, ever. But mostly not for a checkup. It just doesn't look right. It isn't right. The pitch and repetition of her screaming are making my head feel like a kettle that's about to boil. Before it reaches its crescendo of shrill whistling, I pull over. If I knew then what I know now, I would never have stopped or would have pulled into the nearest gas station. Anything other than where I chose to stop at. I pull over and get out of the car and open the door of the back seat. There she is, snotty and red-faced. Her blonde curls are sticking to her face with the sweat of frustration. My little sweetheart, she looks just like her mother when she cries. 
It makes me sad, but I can't think about that now. She knew what she was doing when she left us. No sense in keeping her ghost around, especially in my own head. We pull over next to a little roadside memorial. A slightly worn but still pretty silver and pink cross is placed where the flowers withered by the hands of time and various other trinkets of memory. The name on the cross simply reads Emily Semple. It looks to be a child's, and that makes me sadder to think about uh, than when I think about my wife. It's something, at least, I thought. A temporary mental vacation into someone else's hell to be able to escape my own. I look her over, and thankfully she hasn't spilled her bottle. Maybe we still have a chance of being somewhat on time. I hand her the bottle back, wipe her face, and kiss her forehead, thinking if I show her love, it will help calm her down. As if she could read my mind, she throws her bottle and it bounces off my forehead and onto the floor. Great. I haven't realized how much of a shameful mess my car has become. Napkins, empty bottles, condiment wrappers, baby toys, and maybe even a french fry or two litter the seats and floorboards. In my effort to retrieve the bottle, I knock some things out of my car onto the roadside. The wind starts to blow some of them into the road. So, not wanting to travel too far away from the car, I grab what I can and stuff the items back into the back seat on the floor, to be cleaned or forgotten about at a later date. We make it to the doctor's office a whopping twenty minutes late. I sheepishly grin and apologize, hoping they can still see her and I don't have to make another appointment to come back. The front desk lady's voices are understanding, but their eyes certainly had not been. Perhaps they softened when they saw me juggling a baby car seat, with a very loud pink diaper bag falling off my shoulder repeatedly as I tried to continue to calm her down. Yes, she was still wailing away. A nurse with a worn face but kind eyes comes over to us. Now, now, little lady, what seems to be the matter? That face is too beautiful to be scrunched up screaming like that. Are you hungry? Do you want Daddy to rock you? She turns her gaze to me with a smile. Why don't you take her out, Daddy, and bounce her in your arms a bit? Some babies just hate to be in their car seats any longer than they have to be. I smile, thank her, and take her advice. Just as I get her out and sit down with her, the door opens. Michael Hollander and Baby Bryn, we're ready to see you now. Come on back to room four with the white and yellow clouds. I gather up all of our things and head back to the room. Bryn finally settles down and snuggles onto my shoulder. Her thumbs in her mouth, so I knew all was well in Brynville. That's one of her happy places. Taking the thumb train to Brynville, her mom used to say. Two vaccinations and a few spoons of ice cream later, we pull back in the driveway, ready to recover from the whole ordeal. As I pull her seat out of the car, I notice a little pink elephant with a yellow star on its side. I pick it up and hand it to her as I take her into the house. She coos appreciatively as she grabs onto it. Hmm. I don't remember buying this for It probably came from her grandmother's house. She always dotes on her, 
Every time she's out and sees something babyish, she always gets it for her. It was just too cute, and Mimi couldn't leave it there when Bryn would love it so much, she says. Rena, or Mimi as she proclaims herself, is Bryn's maternal grandmother. Since my wife left us, she's gone above and beyond to step up and be there. I think it makes her feel better about the whole situation, as if she somehow feels responsible for her daughter's selfishness and actions. My mother is long gone, and Rita is such a beautiful part of Bryn's life. I would never do anything to take that away from either of them. It's hard to find people you trust to help you, and it's become so hard to do on my own. I'm so thankful for every second with my baby, but I definitely wasn't expecting to raise her on my own. That was never the plan. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. My phone rings. Speaking of, it's Rena calling. She had told me to call her after the appointment was over, and I'd forgotten I quickly try to think of a somewhat acceptable excuse while I place Bryn in her crib. Coming up with nothing and mentally exhausted, I answer the phone. Hello, I answer. Hey, Michael, how did the baby girl's appointment go today? You know how I worry about our princess, she asked me. A couple of shots and some tears, nothing a little ice cream couldn't fix. She's in the 78th percentile for height and 74th for weight, and Doc says she's doing beautifully. I replied proudly. I can hear a subtle sigh of relief from her end of the phone. Good. I'm glad she's doing okay. Do both of you have plans for the day? There's a hopeful tone in her voice as she asks this. No, not really. I'm just going to get some cleaning done. Maybe head out to the store later to fill up the freezer. She makes a subtle sound of disapproval. Mike, you can't take her out running around all over. She just got shots today, and you don't know how she'll handle them. Why don't you bring her over here for the day? That way you can do your shopping and clean your house in peace while we have a Mimi and Bryn time. After the meltdown and outfit changes earlier, Mimi time does sound like a good idea. I would miss her, but I could get so much more done, and maybe even take a nap. She'll most likely sleep most of the day anyway, as she always does on shot days. I agree and tell her we'll be over in about a half an hour. That gives me time to feed her lunch, pack her back up, and bring her over. I start up the car, turn the radio up a little, and head down the road. It's a beautiful day, and for once, I don't mind driving. It'll all be worth it once I'm home from Rena's. Besides, I get to spend the drive fantasizing about the forbidden daytime nap I get to take later. I stop at what seems to be the 100th stoplight, even though it was only the third. Tom Petty's velvet voice comes across the radio, 
so I reach down to turn up the volume even more. The light turns green and I start to accelerate, humming along and excited to get to her grandmother's house. Suddenly, I feel a shock, powerful enough to move my whole car. A deafening screech of metal on metal grinds in my ears. I feel as though my teeth are broken and cutting my cheeks from the inside. The car flips once, twice I feel my head bounce off of the steering wheel. All I can think about is my back seat. The car comes to a stop on its hood. My body is burning with white-hot pain. Warm, thin blood runs into my eyes as I try to survey my surroundings and stay awake. What I actually think are loose teeth are actually broken glass from my window. It cuts the thin tissue of my chapped lips as I spit it through them. I must have gotten hit, possibly T-boned, I started to fear. My head swims and my eyes become heavy. The dust inside my car starts to float around me in slow motion and I feel like a computer shutting down one application at a time. I'm trying to use all of my senses to help me. I hear nothing. There's no crying, no screaming. For the first time ever, I'm terrified at the sound of her silence. I manage to look back to the one mirror fastened to the back seat that survived the crash. I see my little angel in the back seat upside down, securely still in her car seat, motionless. I could fool myself into thinking she's sleeping if not for her neck bent at an unnatural angle and the blood that coats her entire car seat. The last thing I see before I lose consciousness is a little redhead girl standing on the smoking road in front of my windshield. Her face is dirty and caked with dried blood. She's wearing what I guess must have been, at one time, a white dress with yellow daisies on it. Her broken finger points accusingly at me through my broken windshield. The hatred of her gaze is the last thing my mind registers as I begin to fade away. My eyes shoot open with a startled breath as the phone rings. I strangely find myself at home in my chair. A mixture of relief, disbelief, and surrealism washes over me as I take in my current reality. I jolt to a standing position and run to my mirror, examining my head, where it hit the steering wheel. There's nothing. No pain, no bruises or cuts. Nothing. Confused but hopeful, I run to Bryn's room, thankful to see that she's sleeping peacefully in her crib. Either I'm losing my mind or well, that was the most realistic dream I've ever had. I rush to her, not even caring if I wake her up. She wakes up and is smiling at me. Her little hand drops something as I lift her up. I look down and see the little pink elephant with the yellow star. I must have fallen asleep after her appointment today. The phone rings again and startles me. My heart springs to life, thinking it might be my wife. Maybe her mom is calling to check on her to say that she misses us. My heart springs to life in hopes that she was calling to tell me that she'd lost her mind and wants to come back. I look at the phone and sadly realize that it's Rena. I don't answer and let it go to voicemail. I'm still shaken up from that experience and need to pull myself together. 
There's no way she won't hear it in my voice and ask questions. I'll call her later. The phone then buzzes with a text message. It's Rena, not wanting to take silence for an answer, and says, Hey, Michael, just calling to check on Bren's doctor appointment today. If you don't have anything going on, please bring her over. I'd love to spend the day with her. Talk to you soon. Well, I'm definitely not going to be driving anywhere after what happened earlier. It will be a miracle if I don't see that image every time I close my eyes for the next five years. I'm not about to turn a foreboding dream into a reality. So I decided that Bryn and I will have a much-needed lazy day. I turn on some Netflix for me and my kiddo. I pop some popcorn for myself and sit down next to her on the couch. I let her snuggle into me, and we settle in like that for a little while. Halfway through devouring my popcorn bowl, she starts to eye it. She would look from me to the bowl and then back again. I withdraw it from her reach and tell her softly, no. She lets out an irritated grunt and furrows her brow, once again looking towards my bowl, smiling at her spunk at this point. Just thankful to have her breathing and alive, I let her have a piece. I walk to the bathroom, satisfied that she's at peace in one spot for once. I'm only in there for one minute, perhaps two at most. The living room is silent, and my sweet Bryn is on the floor looking under the couch with her butt in the air. I wait back a moment to see what she's doing, figuring she'll pull some lost treasure out of there and try to eat it. But much to my horror, she doesn't move. My heart drops as the air around me dissipates. I walk over to her as I call out to her, You spilled Dada's popcorn, monkey butt. Did you find something good under there? She doesn't respond, doesn't move, doesn't breathe. My heart drops as I rush to her. I pick her up and roll her over as fast as I can without hurting her. She flops over on her back like a limp doll and her face is blue. I look over to the tipped-over popcorn bowl, devastated at how stupid I was. I tried everything I've ever read about babies and choking. I turned her upside down and hit her back. I tried to put my fingers down her throat to remove the obstruction. There's nothing, nothing that I can do. It's just me, her lifeless body and the pink elephant at her feet. Tears sting my eyes as regret stabs my heart with a barbed blade. I moan and scream in agony as I struggle with my cell phone to call 911. My head spins as I start to lose my breath. I look out my window and again I see the little girl wearing the dress with daisies. Outside and down the street, staring in the direction of my house. Things tilt sideways as the ground rushes up to meet me. I fade away. I wake up again to my phone ringing, and once again, I let it go to voicemail. My heart is beating so fast that I can hardly catch my breath. I'm very much still in the situation my mind was just put in. No surprise, it's Rena again. Or, maybe for the first time? I'm not even sure at this point, honestly. I can't even think straight. I've seen things no parent should ever have to see. The baby that I've fought through so much heartache to stay strong for 
is taken from me again and again. Who's the little girl in the dress? Why is this happening to us? Once again, I rush to Bryn's room. I'm all too pleased to see that she's there sleeping, holding the pink elephant in her hand. I take it away and set it off to the side. She wakes up, her sleepy eyes sparkling, and smiles at me. I bend down, reaching out to touch her as she reaches her hand up to me, slowly falling back to sleep. I let the hell we've been stuck in this week to melt away, soaking up her smile. Whatever's going on, whatever the hell I was stuck in right now, we were here. Right now, we are very much alive and okay. Today, we won't do anything. There'll be no car trips, no popcorn, no toys in her crib, no anything that can hurt my little girl. It's my only job in life to protect her, and I'll die trying. The same text message appears from Rena as before, and I decide to call her back. I try to sound as calm as I can, mentioning the same details about the doctor's appointment. This time, however, I decline the offer to come over, deciding not to tell her about the horrifying events of the day. If I doubt my own sanity at this point, why shouldn't she? After catching up for a bit, we arrange for me to drop Bryn off the next Sunday, and she asks, What is Mimi's baby girl doing right now? I reply, She's asleep in her bed holding on to that elephant. Hey, you have no idea how much she loves that. Where'd you find that? There's a pause. Michael, I never got her an elephant toy. I would have remembered. I make an excuse about Bryn waking up, and hang up the phone, feeling dazed. I go to my sweet Bryn. I've decided that I will take her to my room and put her in bed with me all day where nothing can hurt us. We just have to make it through the day and this nightmare will be over. I approach my baby's crib and she's still there. Only now she lays silent, not moving, not breathing. The silken skin on her arms is cold to the touch. Not again. Not again! Although at this point I've seen this far too many times and I'm comfortable with, the fear is always embedded in the back of my mind that this may be the last time. Maybe this time I'll pass out, wake up, and my little girl will still be gone. I frantically look around the room for something to hit myself with. Something, anything to make me pass out so we can begin this again, so I can have my Bryn again. I lost her mother, which still haunts me to this day. I cannot and will not lose her, too. Where she goes, I go. She's my only light left in this world. It turns out I don't have to find anything. I feel my breath slow and the room tilt. The little girl in the dress's angry eyes follow me all the way to the floor. The more I see her, the more translucent and decomposed her form appears. My worst fear is that by the time there's nothing left, Bryn's chances will run out. I can't let that happen. The phone rings. I wake up and ignore the call. You know the drill. I run to my daughter and wick her up as gently as I can. Only one thing matters today. The only thing that can fix this. 
we unintentionally disturbed Emily's resting place. The only place that we have is to return this to where it came from. I stumble my way to the car with her and hastily strap her into her car seat. We take off in the direction of her doctor's office. I just pray I get there in time, with no red lights and no accidents. I see the pink and silver cross and immediately pull over. The contents of my stomach emptying themselves down the side of my car as I rush out of it. I open the back door and grab the elephant from Bryn's little hands. Her eyes get big and her lips puff out with a threat of oncoming tears. That doesn't matter now, though. I have what I need. As it leaves her hands, it starts raining. I look to the sky, torrents of droplets stabbing at my eyes and scream out, I'm sorry, Emily. We didn't mean to steal from you. Please, leave my baby alone. I never meant to take it. She deserves to live. There are tears falling from my eyes, and spit is flying from my lips. Please. With my free hand raised in surrender, I gently place the elephant next to the cross and back away. It may just be in my head, but I swear the air feels lighter, giving me the refreshment of promise. I hope to God that I did the right thing. Bryn and I just need to make it through one whole day. Sleep isn't kind to me, as the show, One Thousand Ways to Die, plays continuously throughout my mind like a movie screen. Only my daughter's the only cast member and starring role each and every time. A couple of years go by, with Bryn growing into a healthy toddler with little to no signs of danger. Her hair has turned into an amber color over the changing seasons. Pains me more and more to see her grow into a physical carbon copy of her mother, but I'm ever so thankful to have each and every day with her. The events of the last years have taught me never to take her for granted. Every stumble, laugh, toy, and smile is a natural gift from God. Her words are coming more often and with less time in between. However, I'm having the hardest time getting her to say her name. She mumbles something each time that I do, and whatever the word is sounds nothing like my daughter's name. The worst thing is that the word that she's saying sounds an awful lot like the name Emily. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Roadside by author N.M. Brown as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found haunting other places on the internet. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com 
slash brown. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. Find out more about this author and pursue a selection of spine tinglers just in case you needed to stay up just a little bit later. And if you decide to give any of this talented author's books a read, please consider leaving her a quality review and a kind word, and be sure to let her know you've heard about her on this program and that me, Otis, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season's passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can also subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky, get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at 
Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.